I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the basis of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball. All right. It is a great day for a ball game. This is Randy Rohde with Running the Bases with Small Businesses. And today's guest comes from the great state of Utah. I love Utah. An outdoor enthusiast, this girl dad, father of two, enjoys time spent outside in all the wonders his great state has to offer. Uh, But when he's not enjoying his leisure time, this serial entrepreneur has been hard at work founding two very different companies and then using the successes and rewards to purchase the majority stake in a company that he currently runs and leads as CEO. His businesses are as diverse as they get. From agriculture to HR business systems management. We're looking forward to hearing all about the two and how those paths came together. So please welcome the CEO of TeamWorks Group, Morgan Taylor. Morgan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Randy. Excited to be here. Yeah, no kidding. I do tell you, I love Utah. There's so many great things you all can do in Utah, but... um, Man, you know, we always like to begin the podcast with something fun and unique about our guests. And I think, you know, we're, we're launching into new territory in so many different ways with you. Uh, we're going to hit on, uh, on quite a few of these. But I think you actually are one of the first farmers, uh, and we'll call you a farmer, on our podcast. And also probably the first time we're even talking about alfalfa and throwing that <laughs> out there. So, so you, you know, you can, you can at least walk away today and go like, yeah, I did something that was first ever for somebody. So, I, so a little bit of background. So in 2012, after successfully working your way through college as a door-to-door salesperson for a pest control company, and folks, we are going to touch on that a little bit later in the show, so hold on. Uh, after that, you founded your first company called Hay Company, growing, processing, selling alfalfa, and really kind of internationally. Alfalfa, how in the world did this even come about? So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So my brother and I served missions for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I served in Japan and he served in the Dallas, Texas area. Um, He's four years younger than me. So I I went out for two years to Japan, um, like 2002 to 2004, came back and was going through school. And like you mentioned, I was doing the door-to-door sales, doing pest control, but he came home and while he was down there, he learned that they don't grow really good alfalfa in Texas, Hmm. but Idaho, Utah, places in Arizona, if you put, you know, Nevada, we grow some of the best alfalfa in the world. Why is that? What was that? Why is that? I uh, just, cl- you know, climate, climate, I was like, soil climate, climate has a lot to yeah. do with it. Wow. Yeah. All right. A lot of bugs and the humidity, you know, make it hard to grow good alfalfa in Texas. It's not that they don't grow it, you know, maybe like in the Amarillo, uh, Northwest Texas area, kind of by the New Mexico border, hmm. they'll grow some alfalfa, but not really enough to serve their needs, especially those uh, high end horse people that, you know, they want really good high protein alfalfa for yeah. racing those horses yeah so he goes he goes hey brother why why don't uh why don't we try to buy a little hay up here and ship it to ship it to texas and uh i said well i when i was in japan i only thing i saw was rice patties i don't think they're growing any alfalfa in japan so let's see if uh the japanese need any alfalfa and that's honestly how the ball started rolling you first started shipping it off to texas and then, mm-hmm. and then expanded to, uh, to China or not China, but Japan as well. Did you start out with like, 
buying um, from other farmers and then shipping, or did you start and like, hey, we're going to start growing our own? Or, well, so my brother and I, we grew up in St. George, Utah, in mm-hmm. a suburban area. I mean, we were in a subdivision, right? Um, on a you know small little lot with a, I mean, wonderful, beautiful home, but we did not have horses, cows, chickens, <laughs> any uh, any ground. So, being city get boys entering into the agriculture space, um, we just, we put together our business plan and we kind of strategized on how we were going to tackle it. Right. And obviously the lowest hanging fruit is buy, you know, is trade, buy right. from farmers and, and broker it to, you know, customers or end users. And we, and we did that a little bit to, you know, while we were generating some capital and building up some revenue and, uh, and then from there we started working on becoming more vertically integrated in our space. And we just kept, pick, you know, working our way up the ladder, picking, uh, picking the lowest hanging fruit for the situation that we were in. So from buying and selling, then we, we started buying uh, trucks. So we would haul our own hay on our own right, trucks. Right. And uh, that was challenging. Um, and then from buying the hay and buy, and putting it on our own trucks, we then opened up our own feed stores in, te- in the Texas area. Um. And then the next integration was uh, buying farm ground. Right. We, we actually leased farm ground first and then uh, did kind of a pro- profit share partnership. And we ended up with uh, about 2,200 acres mm. that we would farm. And we, we sold way more hay than we could ever grow. Right. But it was just to be in the space um, uh, more like uh, colleagues, more guys in the trench type, you know, the brokers are not necessarily the most beloved group in the alpha alpha trading space. So being a, being a grower and a transporter um, and doing the sales, we, we felt like we were putting ourselves in a position to, to succeed, right. you know, and building relationships with other farmers so that we could source more hay. Right. Right. So you kind of, you kind of actually, pushed yourself to get into the trenches, so to speak. So you could yeah. kind of grow that relationship. Yeah, that's good. How about, because I know you did uh, push out and sell internationally. How did mm-hmm. you begin to open those doors? I mean, I get, you know, with Utah and sell into Texas and kind of expanding um, regionally in a broad region kind of sense, but, you know, all of a sudden going to go sell alfalfa to Saudi Arabia or some of the places that you were mm-hmm. listing, uh, you, you know, that's a big reach. Yeah. I think if you're, when you're thinking about it from somebody who's just never entertained that space, it seems like a bigger chasm to cross mm. a really big chasm to cross. Um, but it's, it's not, it's not as big as you think. I mean, there's a lot of people um, in the world that are looking to source resources for you know, for their country, right. you know, that so that they can have milk or vegetables or, you know, the things that they need to sustain life. And, yeah. and some of the things that they import like, are nice to haves, right? Like China has to feed a lot of people. And right. so importing alfalfa is a nice to have so that they can have milk for their, you know, feed for their cows so they can have milk. Um, and so it, it, it's not a must have, um, but there's, yeah, they've got a lot of, you know, you're talking about the essentials of life, you know, the sustaining, the you know, the sustaining essentials of life to have food and, you know, and bread and water and meat and, and things on your table. So there's a lot of countries, you know, if you've, if you've ever been to the Middle East, you know, when I was in Dubai, I traveled all the way across the United Arab Emirates and saw the, in, in the entire landscape, I didn't see a single stitch of fresh water above ground. Wow. Um, and so, you know, for them to have some of the the amenities, you know, that come from having wonderful tasting milk, you know, they got to bring all that stuff in. Yeah. And so there's, there's a lot of people that are out looking for it. So you, a few trade shows, right. you, you talk to one or two people that kick you a re- referral or a, you know, a re- somebody that you can reference and not, not too far from there. You're, you're now neck deep in, in uh, doing an international, hey, you know, trading. Wow. That is really amazing. I think it's such a great and valuable lesson for many of our listeners that are small business owners uh, that are looking for 
maybe some new fertile territories to expand and to serve in a more broad sense, you know, go and don't, I guess maybe it's some of it is probably even just a beginning of a mindset. So for you, you had a great experience. You got to travel at a young age. You were out, you were doing your work, your mission work, and you got to see some other things kind of firsthand. And so you had a, a little bit of a different perspective, I think. But, you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, we get so boxed in and and thinking just, and I love the way you said um, the chasm could seem to be so wide that how, how can you cross that void? But really, it, 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 and especially in today's world, it's not that big. Uh, yeah. Wow. I think I, I like that point where, you, you know, you just touched on where it's not that big. I think that's the technology's just brought us all so much closer together. Um, we've streamlined so many different processes um, because of technology that we, you know, we can solve really big, hairy problems quickly, you know, and bring borders closer together. Right. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I like that you touched on that. And this is a good segue into your next kind of business venture where you're talking about technology and about sourcing, because then I've got in my notes in 2018, uh, mm-hmm. you sold your interest in the hay business and founded your second company completely different, uh, which is an HR uh, PEO business. And I'll let you define (laughs) what that is exactly. Um, But certainly utilizing technology and sourcing a different type of service and product for folks. So uh, I'll let you explain what what a PEO business is. Yeah, I think uh, maybe just a little more background on how this all came about. I the hay, the hay business was extremely difficult. Um, perishable products, international governments. Um, you were dealing with royal families in the Middle East. You're dealing with communist uh, regimes in China. Um, and you just, and then international waters and then labor unions. Um, I mean, the, the problems were, were, big and a lot of them out of your control we've had, we had a lot of hay seized just for the sake of it being seized wow um, by like customs or something i suppose yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. customs would take the hay and and tell you that you were in violation of some rule even though you weren't and now your hay is sitting somewhere in, a, in another country and it's really not cost. There's really not a lot you can do with it. Right. So, and that's just one of the many problems, you know, you, I watched, I watched a lot of money, you know, evaporate into thin air because our hay would get rained on mm-hmm. um, after we had cut it. So there's, that's just one of a thousand problems on the farming side. And so it was, it was tiring because of the constant um, unforeseen battles, you know, that you would have to face. And so, um, I, you know, agriculture was never really my passion. My brother owns a bunch of horses. He's into rodeo and and loves that, you know, the, has cows. He's into that lifestyle. And for me, it was more about business, right. um, learning the ins and outs of, you know, how, you know, strategy systems and processes, marketing, you know, how to, how to make it more profitable, how to run it better. Those are the things that I was interested in. Um, and it was intriguing to travel overseas and things until you get tired of being away from your family because of that fatigue, that's what drove me to look for another opportunity. And and through running Alfalfa Express, we had worked with a handful of payroll companies. I think we had been with three different companies over the six or seven years that we were running, that I was running Alfalfa Express or the hay company. I was, as I would learn, as I learned about the model, you know, um, it seemed just drastically different than the model I was in. Um, reoccurring revenue, really mature, reliable, reoccurring revenue, um, predictable. All of those things sounded really attractive because I didn't have any of those things in my world when I was in Alfalfa, when I was in the hay company. But we, you know, working through the different payroll providers that we had, we found that a, a lot of them weren't very proactive, that they were more reactive to the problems that we had. Um, and so we thought maybe we, there was a little bit of room in, a, you know, it's a saturated market. Right, you know, payroll. Right. There's a lot of, you know, if you've ever seen the book Blue Ocean Strategy, uh, we're we're definitely stepping into a red ocean. But we felt like if we could just do a good job at 
a couple of things that we we could create a space for ourselves and slowly take on take some market share from a, from the current um, players in the in our space. Um, and, and just providing some good customer service, proactive customer service. And so we, I, we started, um, actually started in 2017, putting the pieces together, had to learn what a PEO was, a professional employer organization, which is essentially um, a co-employment relationship mm. with the business owner. For all intents and purposes, the, the employee is the employee of the company that hired them. Um, but for tax purposes, they are our employees. Hmm. Um, and that allow what that allows us to do is aggregate the different uh, employees into one group so that we can take advantage of large group of a lar- of a larger group going out and getting insurance, um, you know, health insurance plans, life insurance plans, mm-hmm. dental vision, um, 401k. Like we can, we can go and be more aggressive in, in, generating better deals for our clients so that they can get more competitive rates like workers comp or right um, because we can now aggregate those employees right under one tax identification interesting and uh, i am curious and maybe if you could expand on this a little bit so you know you talked about hey this is a red ocean uh you know highly saturated very competitive you know some big big named brands uh in Mm -hmm. in this industry uh, and so here you are, you're starting, uh, uh, Hey, we're going to jump into this thing. How in the world did you begin to differentiate yourself, uh, to begin to even get a foothold? Because I, I would think it would be incredibly difficult. It's like David and Goliath almost. Oh, it, it really is. I think that's a, a really great way to put it. And again, the strategy of just picking the low hanging fruit. I mean, it's not that we're trying to always take the path of least resistance, but we just have, you just have to start with, you know, you have to be pragmatic. Where can I start? And, and then you have to say, if I start there, can I, can I build something? Is that, a, do I have a good enough idea that this, that I could start and that, you know, that seed that I'm going to plant, is that going to grow? To, to what I need this company to be so it can, you know, sustain itself and me and family members. It's just, um, and so I actually had a relative in the payroll space um, and he is, he was a sales rep for another company and he, uh, we, he had sold us, you know, uh, at the Hay company to use their services and we were, mm-hmm. and he just said, uh, and it really came down to, Hey Morgan, if you'll put up the capital and start a business, I'll come work for you. And I will bring you clients. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> that a oh, great. I'll, uh, the money is an easy thing for me. The, the, the business run, managing and operating a business and getting it organized and set up, not a problem. So I went through and we, I did those steps. And then in 2019, when we opened our doors, you know, he had 10 or 15 clients and, and, and on you know the bio that you have, it doesn't show, say say anything about the five or six other businesses that I was that I owned at the time. So I had them come on as clients, right? And so we had about twenty businesses right out of the gates that we were running payroll for, and that paid our bills for you know sixty to ninety days while we you know had to go out there and make it happen. And and that's the, that's just the biggest that's just a big reality you have to deal with. At some point, you just have to show up. And not look for a way out, but look for a way through and, and just live with the fact that if you don't deliver, you're going to fail. Right. And we just made sure that we delivered. We did everything we could to protect, protect against uh, the option to fail. Right. Cause that we didn't want that to happen and it worked out, you know, it's funny how that works. You work really hard at achieving a goal and you just luck just happens to follow, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard, small margin, big volume, right? We don't make a lot of money on any one client. It's, it's small margin. So you, you, that getting to critical mass is very important, but it's not easy and you're going to spend some money to get there. Right. Um, we fortunately had a little bit of a leg up because we had some options to get some quick customers, but, um, Hey, you gotta, you gotta show up. Nobody's going to solve the problems, but you, and 
just kind of have to put your shoulder to, you know, into it and, and grind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, well, that's a good farmer mentality. That's what, (laughs) (laughs) you know, growing up on a farm, I know that's exactly what it is. It's like, you just put your head down and shoulder into it and just grind and push. And, uh, you know, you'll probably scratch your way uh, into success. I, somebody always, I love this uh, quote. It's don't attribute it to me, but uh, somebody once told me though, is that success really is just preparation meets opportunity. And sometimes that, that is so much the fact. And I love the idea and and your approach as well, though, in in talking about low hanging fruit. I mean, you employed that strategy a little bit or a lot, maybe at the hay company. And then you did the same thing with, uh, what was it? Dawson? Is that it? Um, yeah, docent. Docent, um, the HRPEO business. Um, and so you you begin to try to identify what those low-hanging fruits could be so you could get those early wins. And, you know, to your point, it's like you've got to begin to create some sustainability, you know, keep the lights on somehow. So uh, don't go swinging for a home run always. That's throw a little baseball into it. <laughs> yeah, swinging for the fences. Yeah. I think you... I think you need to, you need to swing really hard, you know, when you're, when you're up to bat, yeah. but uh, you may not want to swing at every pitch. You know, you gotta, you gotta pick, you got, maybe got to know who's throwing the ball and, and do a little of your home, do a little homework. It, it's interesting how many people come up with business ideas, but then put no plan behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, they just show up at the plate to, you know, and, and hope for the best. And and there's just no, there's no planning involved. And <clears throat> there's so many unknowns in this world as it is um, that, and especially in business, you, even your best laid plans aren't going to account for all of the unknowns. But if you can know something, I, it, I think it's important that you do know it and you do figure out that you, that you, that you know, that, and come to know it um, because there's already enough unknowns out there. And, and so have, you know, spending a little bit of time to come up with a plan. We, I didn't just start a payroll company without a business plan. Um, I didn't start a hay company without a, some kind of a business plan. And even though it, it, it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until you get hit in the face, yeah. you know, you, you're going to get hit in the face, but a little bit of homework goes a long way to soften the blow. And then you can always pivot. You know, yeah. you can go a different direction or in the payroll space, we definitely started with some kind of a plan. Do we, and did we think that could work? Absolutely. Um, and then uh, we just went out for, uh, you know, for execution. And when we started, you know, customer, obviously in our space, customer service is paramount. I mean, my people are instructed that if somebody calls us up and asks us to order a pizza, just order the pizza. We're not going to ask questions about it mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it doesn't like, Telling the customer we don't do that isn't it's just, it's, it's a it doesn't really help. It, right. it uh, hey, you want us to order a pizza? Sure. Where do you want us to send it? <laughs> and what would you like us to order? And we'll get it there for you. Because um, that's the only right now, you know, that's what we have to to stand out on is right. customer service. If right. you're going up against ADP or paychecks or big, you know, and you know, big huge companies, that's really your your niche you know, is to stand out on, on customer service. Cause they probably have better tech, right. they probably have, you know, better margins, you know, with all the efficiencies that they have. Right. Um, so we, yeah, they, we, we order pizzas if that's what it takes. <laughs> that, that really is funny. I, I'm sure you probably don't order pizzas really, but uh, I get the underlying theme there. And, and it really is almost similar. And I'm, I'm going to phrase it this way and, and uh, get your input on this. But, you know, we strive in our agency to become the trusted advisor. So regardless of what the issue is, that our clients would come to us and say, Randy, we really need to do this. What are your thoughts? 
and it may not necessarily be in our field of uh, service whatsoever, but yeah. certainly will help guide through some strategic thinking and conversation around it. And that's, I think that's similar to what it is you're saying about ordering the pizzas, right? Like, listen, call us. We are here and we will deliver whatever service that we can absolutely provide as a trusted advisor for your company. No, yeah, I think we, I, I don't believe we've ordered a pizza yet. So you're correct. <laughs> it is just a, an analogy, but we do, um, we have customers that will call us, especially um, those that are using our business intelligence tools, you know, Hey, I have this software issue or my, my, my router, my internet modem or my router is down. Can you help me? And, and that I, to me, I would equate to ordering a pizza because that's right. not something that we do. Yeah. But if, you know, but we'll help the customer get there. Hey, we'll work and, it out. Yeah. And it's interesting. You brought up trusted advisor, a, a docent is how, and which is how you would properly say that name. I appreciate um, that. Sorry. <laughs> no, we, well, we say docent or okay. uh, docent because we thought it sounded better Yeah. instead of docent. We say docent. And so um, that's how we taught people or told people, you know, we pronounced the company name, but essentially that's what a docent is, right? It's a guide. Somebody, if you went to a museum or a college would guide right. you through right. a museum or a, a college campus. And the idea is that, Hey, we got you. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to guide you through, you know, the, the technical things inside of payroll and HR and, and uh, benefits. Um, and, if you've ever seen that clip by Elon Musk, you know, where he talks about um, companies being small, you know, if you're, you, you have to identify with, you know, you have to kind of understand what, where your customer's coming from. Like if they're going to choose from, if, you know, they have all of these options to choose from as a customer, you know, for payroll, um, what, how do you, how are they, how are they going to choose you if they could choose ADP and paychecks, right? If right. they don't know you, you know, and they're thinking they're worried about trust and they're worried about, you know, important things getting done. How are you going to stand out? How are you going to compete? And, and really the, you know, Elon's saying, Hey, you, they're probably going to have better tech there. I mean, the things that we just mentioned, so you better, you better stand out on something and figure out, you know, how to dominate on, uh, on that one thing. And I think he alludes to customer service and then you slowly build from there, right. you know, and, and look for other opportunities. So obviously you've had a successful journey because, uh, took on the investment, uh, with teamworks and, and now you're, you know, docent now is <laughs> much, much bigger and is teamworks. Um, walk us through that process and, and as well, uh, give us the full, uh, bio on teamworks and what it is that teamworks does. Yeah. So we, we started, so docent opened its doors to do payroll for more than just the one, one customer we were working with in 2018. And that's when my cousin came to work for us. And in 2019, we went from one one client when we opened the doors to the few that I brought on and the few that he brought in, brought on. So I think there was 15 or 20 and that equated to maybe a few hundred worksite employees um, that were in that group that, you know, I mentioned, you know, that PEOs aggregate. And I think by the end of the year, we had over 1200 um, worksite employees and we had just, we had grown faster than we were writing checks. We couldn't cash. Not that we couldn't do the work, but it was really hard to do it at a high level. Yeah. Um, and we needed in, we needed personnel. We needed, we needed some institutional knowledge and we needed depth at certain positions. You know, like we were short a shortstop. We, you know, we didn't have a, a right fielder. Yeah. He didn't have the backup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were, and we had nobody on the bench. I mean, we didn't even have the players to get out on the field, let alone have any kind of a bench. Um, Cause it was just the three of us. Um but we were, we were growing. We had, that was all, we had all of this upside. And I went to an, you know, I went to a couple of meetings where with these entrepreneurs where they would just get together and talk about their businesses. And one of the individuals that was there was a managing partner of a, an accounting firm who was doing audits for payroll companies. So PEOs are required to, in most States to have licensing. And part of the licensing requirements is that we have our financials audited by a third party you know, licensed firm. And so he was doing audits for a number of PEOs and he said, and 
as he was learning about our business in these entrepreneur meetings, he said, I, I think I know somebody who needs, you know, who could, who could benefit from what you guys offer. And I think you guys could benefit from what he has to offer. And essentially he, he had the, their business was, was suffering. It, it, it hit, teamwork started in 1996 and in about 2007 or eight, it kind of reached its peak. And, and then it started to bleed, you know, clients until um, it became unprofitable. And then for the last four or five years from like 2000 and, 15 to 20, 20, when we took it over, just losing money. Mm. Um, but they had, they had some really good pieces um, at play. They had some accounting pieces. They had some benefit pieces. They had some payroll pieces um, that had technical expertise in their fields that added value to what we were doing. So essentially uh, uh, it, it, it looked like a really great fit I took the the growth that we had at Docent and used that essentially to buy the or to take over the majority of of Teamworks Group. Um, that growth and they were ha- the person that owned Teamworks Group was happy for it because he was tired of writing checks to the business. <laughs> uh, payroll companies can't lose money, right? If you're yeah. if you're bleeding money, they'll revoke your license. Um, you've got to stay liquid. Um, kind of makes sense. Almost anybody has, has got to do that. So uh, what what are the full, I guess, suite of services that you're providing at Teamworks? And I know one in particular I, I really want to delve into, which is the, uh, the business intelligence aspect um, that you guys have developed and provide out there. So uh, why don't you tell us a bit about that and about the services overall? Yeah, so I'll give you a I mean, a brief, we, we are standard, you know, professional employer organization offering um, the things that you would expect a payroll, a full service payroll company to offer. So we'll do your payroll, which is the backbone of what we do um, for most companies. And then from there, we branch out, we have eight, you know, HR specialists um, that will do, you know, handbooks, trainings on, you know, social, sexual harassment, um, cybersecurity, um, labor law trainings, just, just things to kind of keep your office, um, or your workforce up to date on how, you know, labor laws, how to hire, how to, you know, interview properly. So you don't get yourself in trouble with discrimination or, um, gender violations or anything, you know, just things like that. They'll, they'll go and, and help with, um, and then you've got, you know, the benefits side, uh, making sure that we're, offering competitive, you know, health insurance, dental insurance, vision insurance. Um, one of the big things right now that um, I initially didn't think was going to be a big success, but we have what they call an ERP program, which is a mental health insurance, right? Um, which allows the people in our group to have access to mental health services from therapy to psychiatry to, you know, and it's just a quick phone call. Right. Um, and then you can start seeing it, seeing somebody, and they'll, they'll get you started, you know, if it's going to take longer than a year or a few visits, then um, they'll have to move you to a longer term program. But it's been a huge success sure. with, uh, with people. So anyways, those, so those are some of the, we do in 401ks. I, essentially what we're trying to do is make you competitive as an employer um, with where you can go out and offer enterprise level services, enterprise meaning like uh, things that like, uh, Qualtrics or uh, what's some other big companies out there, you know, the Adobe, you know, there's these, these big enterprise level cert companies that have their own, they're, they're so big, they have their own group, right? Right. They, right. Um, and they'll offer 401k, they'll offer benefits, they'll offer um, some of these services that smaller businesses won't, won't think that they can afford to offer, but we make that available to them. So, when they're sitting there looking at a job offer from Adobe or a job offer from the small widget maker, it can, it can be as almost as competitive um, because they can have the, you know, access to those benefits. Mm. So that's, that's the PEO in a nutshell, right? The services that we offer. And, and the goal of that whole enterprise is to um, make it really simple and easy for the entrepreneur so that they have more time to focus on the things that they set out to do. Um, if we feel like at Teamworks, we're successful if the entrepreneur 
um, feels like their back office is airtight that, um, and then they can, and we handle things because you, when you hire a payroll company like us, you're getting 15 people, um, to help you run your business that you did. You know, you might only have three employees in your office, but you're going to have another 15 that are there to support you on any of the things that, that we cover. So hopefully we're providing your team with more time, which is the most finite thing, you know, that I think you have, so you can focus on making more widgets. Right. And you mentioned the door-to-door sales thing. It was interesting. That's actually what helped me get into the business intelligence, believe it or not. When we were selling pest control, the one thing that we did that helped us stand out was we would do in-wall treatments. Um, and they're, they're most, they're mostly effective. I mean, pest controls real, the battle in pest controls really won on the exterior of a home. Right. Um, cause that's, that's where primarily where 99% of your bugs are coming from. But when we would show up at a, at a potential customer's house and say, Hey, we're not going to come in your home and spray all your baseboards with a bunch of pesticides. Um, we're actually going to take the, you know, the faceplate covers off your electrical outlets and we're going to inject, um, the pro, you know, we would say product. You'd never want to say chemicals, but uh, <laughs> we would inject the uh, pest, you know, pesticides inside their walls. That was just enough of a of an opening to capture their attention that made you different than everybody else. Mm. So we, for two years, we basically wrote up, you know, would ask the question, "What's our in wall treatment?" That's kind of how it came. That was the question we were asking for a pair for us as a PEO. What what's our in wall treatment? How we how do we stand out? How right. are we going to help our our clients? And uh, Domo's in our backyard here um, in uh, Utah County here in Utah. I think they're in Pleasant Grove, but uh, we drive by there. You know, we drive down the freeway and see their buildings and their their signs all the time. And anyways, I called up Domo and said, "Hey." Um, we want to white label your product and we want to essentially take the model of taking enterprise level services, right. That we've kind of been talking about and provide it to uh, make it available to small businesses. We want to take Domo, the idea of Domo, um, which is dashboarding and analytics. Yeah. I was just going to say, Morgan, if you could maybe explain what that is, that, that service, that Domo, in case some of our listeners may not know exactly what that is. Yeah. So Domo, so Domo is an analyst is a business analytics tool. Um, and so I guess I should rewind our answer to the question of what is our in-wall treatment that, that was, Hey, let's get into, uh, business intelligence mm. and essentially business intelligence is taking uh, data from reports, software programs and cr- pulling it into one location and then displaying it visually in charts and graphs. Um, and so um, that's, so we went out and we said, Hey, so in so our in treatment is going to be business intelligence. What tools are out there? that we could leverage so that we could take this idea of business intelligence and make it available to the small business. Because quite frankly, it's not of it. It's not an option for most companies that there's two major barriers to entry. And the first one is you've got to have an IT person mm. and not just an IT person. He's got to have programming experience. If he doesn't know how to program, it's, it's a non-starter um, because it's that technical mm-hmm. to, um, and we can talk a little bit more about why it's that technical, but the second um, barrier to entry is just the cost. Domo alone for a platform for a standard user is thirty, you know, twenty-five to thirty-five thousand dollars a year, hmm. and that's just a big nut. So by the time you pay one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to a programmer and you swallow the thirty thousand dollar Domo annual expense, it's now way outside of. Yeah, you're in deep. Yeah, it, it's just not feasible, and it's, so it's it's a nice to have. Um, and more and more, it's probably becoming essential mm. because your competition's using analytics to drive their business. Mm-hmm. And so we take, we carry the burden of all of those costs, um, those upfront costs, and we then spread it out over a large group, right? Going back to the idea of aggregating. And so you now it's available, right? So that, that was the, and Domo was 
willing to let us, you know, white label their service. So it's Domo driven and, and Domo, there's companies like Domo, Tableau, right. Microsoft BI, there's Clipfolio, SciSense, but what they are are tools. You know, it'd be like, you know, if you're in plumbing, you're, you know, you're going down to the store and you're like, Hey, I need, you know, I need a pipe wrench, right? That Domo's the pipe wrench. Um, and so we, what we found is that most customers don't necessarily care to own the tool. They just want the information. Hmm. Right. And they, and they, and if most entrepreneurs, especially if you're in a small business have 99 problems to deal with every day and need more time so that they can focus on the things that are most important. And so we've, we've, that's where we kind of step in. We do all the work for you. You know, the mm-hmm. idea it, and nor, data normalization is another big whale. Um, and uh, the, I have yet to work with a client where we get into their back office and all of the data is, is perfect. So it's a crawl, walk, run process. You know, we, we usually have about 10 or 15% of distance to travel to try to get them organized enough so that the data in, coming into our program isn't garbage mm. and it's reliable, accurate information. And then, uh, so we, it's a, it's a little bit of a process, but yeah, then we deliver a, a, a sub, it's a subscription that they, that they pay, but we deliver act, actionable, real time in, intelligent information that, uh, allows them to make make decisions mm-hmm. make know, intelligent decisions yeah, yeah 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 at i'm assuming as well just a fraction of that 180,000 200,000 dollar investment they would have to do if they were doing this on their own i mean we well, they'll do it we'll do it as if it's just quickbooks online that they yeah. want to see and i mean it's it can be as low as 100 and a few 100 bucks a month i mean it's right. not super expensive it's just um but yeah, we, we, and then because we do it so often for so many different clients and it's all customized, you know, it's not a one size shoe fits all, but we we're very quick at it. Yeah. Um, Cause we've had, we, you know, we have had a lot of practice. That, that is a far away field from growing hay. <laughs> Good yeah. for you. Uh, all right. We're going to come back to Teamworks and also uh, the door-to-door sales experience because I want to hit on that, but it is uh, this time of the show. Do you do you like baseball, Morgan? I, I like the World Series. Oh, there you go. Well, that's all right. And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. So, time for the seventh inning stretch, where we like to have a little fun with our guests, and we uh, get to ask them a, a little bit of baseball questions and uh, trivia and little baseball factoids. So don't worry, you don't have to be some expert in baseball and try to understand what in the world, uh, you know, who was the winning pitcher of the uh, 2016 World Series or anything like that. So don't worry about that. We have done some homework, though, and we thought we would try to pull in uh, something kind of in your uh, wheelhouse a little bit. We're going to talk about grass. All right. (laughs) Okay. So... um, uh, we were uh, unlike other major sports, baseball allows uh, for the field on which the game is played to have different dimensions, right? So typical a football field is a very specific dimension. Uh, soccer field, very specific dimension. Baseball fields, really, you, you know, uh, in Wrigley, the home run, the center field is uh, 415 feet. You know, uh, uh, Astro uh, Stadium, it could be 435 feet out to center uh-huh. field. So they're all different. So with that as well, they also allow then, uh, as in uh, some of the other major league sports, they also allow them to choose like, well, what kind of a field do you want um, or will you utilize? And so they're, they're covered with various types of uh, and mixes of grasses as well and or artificial grasses, right? So There's a baseball field with an artificial grass. Yes. Right? So, um, well, the Astros, and I threw out the Astros because uh, if you can recall in 65, uh, when the Astrodome opened, it had some Bermuda grass and it was very great. They expanded and 
went to a synthetic field. And uh-huh. that's why the term originally, uh, they were one of the first, actually the first to do this. And it became <laughs> AstroTurf, right? If you're familiar kind of with that term, because it came yeah. out of the Astro Stadium. Um, so <laughs> more history al- along that, if, you know, people can go look this stuff up. But in by 2010, there were only two teams, however, that used uh uh, artificial turf in baseball, Tampa Bay and Toronto. Now in 2020, um, just a handful more, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, the Rangers and Miami Marlins, uh, offer faux baseball field turf aside from Tampa and, uh, Toronto. So there's, there's a handful of them. In the NFL, it's about 50, 50, uh, number of <laughs> NFL teams that use artificial and grass. So anyway, Coming into your question, are you ready for this? Yeah. How long should a typical artificial field last if it's used just for baseball? It's in, that's an interesting question. Believe it or not, I've I, I just bought artificial turf for my backyard like last week, <laughs> and I was looking at bringing importing some from China, um, but I think the warranty the warranties on that, on that artificial turf varied from, I mean, it wasn't a lot of variants, but 15 to 16 years were the warranties on the turf. So I'm going to go with 15 years. There you go. That's a good, well, I could see the wheels turning there and like, wow, I'm bringing this home. Uh, Well, what they say for baseball anyway, and the, and I think, you know, their standards or whatever, but they're expecting an artificial field to last about four to eight years from baseball standards. Um, but if they're using the fields, you know, like I I live in Cleveland, they sometimes will do all different kinds of things on there. Um, but in other stadiums, they may do rock concerts, uh, and all other kinds of off season kinds of things. Um, so, you know, that can cut down on the life cycle of a field, but typically about four to eight years, what they say in baseball. So I hope you get 15 years out of your home artificial turf. Uh, yeah. That would be great. Cause uh, I, I kind of like the idea of having that in my house. I wouldn't have to mow or, or better yet. My 16 year old son wouldn't have to mow the yard, <laughs> I, which I think he's actually doing today or he should be anyway after school. So <laughs> I'm sure you would love that. Uh, all right. Well, that wasn't so bad. Question. Yeah, there we go. All right. Well, let's get back into it. Play ball. Door to door sales. Now we're going back. We're yeah. going back in time. Uh, I think the note that I have here is that you were making like a hundred thousand dollars a year as a door to door salesman. Is that true? Is that, or, you yeah. know, we're close enough anyway. Yeah. That is some crazy. Years, some years, quite a bit more. Wow. While you're in college. Yeah. Jeez. In, in, in the summer, <laughs> three, three and a half months. So that is great. In three and a half months. I mean, what is that? Like a, a 6 a.m.? I mean, uh, walk me through a day in the life of Morgan uh, doing <laughs> As a door-to-door, sales door-to-door sales guy. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be totally honest. Door-to-door sales is a miserable experience from a, a lifestyle perspective. Um, you work Monday through Saturday, two to dark, two Ooh. to whenever people are you're not in people's homes anymore. Um, well, two, Monday through Friday is two to dark Saturdays from, you know, 9am to, or 10am to dark. Right. And, uh, you do that for uh, three to four months. Um, and we don't take breaks. We don't take days off holidays or even better days. There's more people home. Sure. And, uh, but, it, it honestly, it just started for me with the idea that I wanted to graduate from college with no debt. Um, and so I had, uh, you know, in Utah. So, I mean, it's no secret, you know, us missionaries go out and we knock doors all over the world, right. you know, inviting people, you know, to hear our message. And we, so you kind of get used to it, right? You kind of get used to that whole experience right. and, and what it's like. And, uh, rejection kind of becomes, you know, water off a duck's back, right? You, you kind of, and that's really the biggest thing that you, you know, most people have to learn to deal with. And a lot of missionaries that have come home have already learned to deal with that. And they they know exactly what they're getting into. So Utah 
Utah became a Mecca for recruiting in door-to-door sales. I was just going to say, I bet, wow, as you're walking through that, I bet Utah probably is just full of (laughs) door-to-door salesmen. (laughs) Thousands. It's a huge industry here. And if you've seen the Utah Jazz, you know, you've seen their their re- arena is called the Vivint Arena. Yeah. And Vivint is a, was a, they're less so now since they've been bought and sold a couple different times, but uh, they're, they were a door-to-door sales company. That, the whole thing started that way. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, the, and so, yeah. So I was sitting in college and a bunch of guys that had done it the previous summer were on campus recruiting. There's, there's big money in it. If you're good at it, it's big money. Um, the recruiting is, you know, the, oh, you, you know, is big money and the, and the sales is big money. If you're sure. not good at it, it's mediocre money. Um, but yeah, my first summer I went out and I sold, I didn't actually sell even sell the whole summer, but they recruited me. They told me about the experience. This is what you're going to do. And I said, so if I get a sale, if I get one person to do this, I make this much money. They're like, yes. So if I do this, if I can replicate the process and I can get 50 customers, I'll make this much money. Yes. Okay. I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, it was the, the math I, worked. I, yeah. I was like, so it, this is, you know, minimum it's better than the 10 to $15 an hour you're going to get landscaping or, yeah. you know, working for a construction company locally through the summer. And so I packed up my bags and I f- drove all the way out to Charlotte, North Carolina and good bug country there. Yeah. And I showed up the first day for training. They, they told the, uh, I was trying to do these work on these sales pitches, which is essentially just why you're there, what you're doing in a hook and you do it fairly quickly and succinctly in the pest control world. And I was delivering my sales pitch in this weird voice. And he's like, Hey, just be natural. Um, and I said, Oh, so just be myself. He's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, I got that. I get that. So they told me what to say and I would not that very first day I went out and sold three, uh, three pest control accounts day one and uh, never, never didn't sell an account when I went out and I had days where I sold over 20 and days where I only sold three, but I would put, I think I put on 200 accounts that summer and made that very first summer about $35,000 in two months Wow! as a first year sales rep. And then the second year it was over a hundred thousand dollars and third year, was more and more until I actually, when I quit, um, I had 11 offices and 250 sales reps that I was managing and training. I was going to say, cause I, I saw that in the bio it was mm-hmm. clearly you, you were successful at it, uh, because of, you know, the re- level of responsibilities that, uh, they gave to you and, uh, managing all of the other offices. So that is, uh, that, that really is pretty remarkable. Were you, when you went back to college, uh, after that first summer, were you like, Hey, this is what I did. And, uh, wow. Did, how did you guys fare? I, I got, I got some bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, so re- I was, I was, it's, it's kind of, I really didn't enjoy door-to-door sales, the lifestyles, and you started starting at zero every day. And there's a lot of emotional intensity in dealing with, with door-to-door sales. And you just kind of have to curb all of that and put your emotional sensitivities aside and just say, Hey, look, I got to go to work every day. I'm just going to have to do this. There's nobody else is going to do it for me. And I just need to get, get it done. Um, And so but I was in what I, so I was good at the door-to-door sales, but I was even better at recruiting. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely leveraged my success into bringing other people on board and then training them to be successful. And then those guys that wanted to come back and, and recruit and build their own teams, I would help them hmm. r- learn the process and uh, help build their own teams. And then, you know, in the door-to-door world, you, it's all commission based. So you get commission off your own sales, you get overrides for the, the guys or girls that you manage and, and help train. Right. And, uh, it, it's extremely lucrative. So I, I don't know exactly how many years you were doing the door to door. Um, but through those years and those hard summers, uh, through that experience, what would you say you kind of packed away and 
we're able to bring with you as lessons, as guidance uh, through, you know, the various other business experiences that you then pursued the Hay Company, Docent, Teamworks. Uh, are there things that you look back like, wow, I, I really owe some of this mindset or thought back to those days when I was rapping on doors? Yeah, I think uh, the men, just the idea that hard work pays off and it, there's no magic. Like I, I would always get people that would, you know, I would come home and I would sell 20, 20 deals that day. And one of the guys, would, how did you do that? What are you saying? What are you, you know, the, and, and uh, I'm, I said, I'm saying the same things you're saying, but just working a lot harder, staying, keeping the main thing, the main thing. I mean, so easy for people to get caught up in the thick of thin things. Mm. Um, so these sales reps, they get out there and, and it's an unpleasant thing. And it, again, I talked about these emotional sensitivities. It There's going to come a moment in every door to, in every sales rep's career where they're going to have to make a choice. Like, am I doing this or am I going to quit and go home? And if they can just make the decision early, no, I'm doing this. And then they just put in the, in work, the hours, put in the time, then all of a sudden, all of the nuance, all of the, you know, the, the things that you can't really teach, they just start to pick up on and the things that you are teaching start to make more sense. Um, So keeping the main thing, the main thing, you're going to feel a lot of stuff Mm. just in in business and in life in general learning how to control, understand how to control those emotions so that you can stay focused and then hard work pays off. You know, there's a, a book, you know, called Dar- you know, by Darren Hardy, um, who called the compound effect. And it's just a philosophy that, that sits really well with me as mm. an individual and as an entrepreneur, you know, that just doing small, doing small things consistently over a long period of time adds up to be a really big thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of effort. It doesn't come all at once. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like what you had mentioned earlier. You just, sometimes you just got to show up, put your shoulder into it and do the grind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to teamworks here because you're, I, I love your company. I'll call it the company tagline or motto changing the world through enabling entrepreneurs to achieve more. Absolutely. Yeah. How did you land on that? Adobe and Microsoft. Hmm. (laughs) So our marketing team was pushing us to come up with a mission statement. Um, And it, it was time for us to, you know, succinctly say what it is, you know, we were setting out to do every day. And uh, my partners came from Adobe. And so we read Adobe's mission statement and we'd been, we had been reading through a few of these big companies and what their mission statements were. And I think it was a combination of Microsoft and Adobe that um, helped us kind of conceptualize what it is that we were wanting to do. And that's how our mission statement came about. But we, we really, so, I mean, we work with hundreds and hundreds of different clients now. Hmm. I mean, we will do, you know, we're going to do over, a few hundred million in revenue this year. So we're not teeny tiny anymore. Right. Um, but so we're working with all of these clients and, and our, our objective, right. Is to, if, if we feel like if we, all of these people, these entrepreneurs in the world that have said, Hey, here's this need in society. Right. I think it's worth my time. It's worth my effort to go out and feel that need or to solve that problem. Um, like we, we want to take those people and we want to give them more of the most finite thing they have so that they can do what they set out to do at the highest level possible. If we can, if we can give them more time, then we we feel like we're succeeding because we've, we got you, we've got those technical uh, things handled your payroll, mm-hmm. you know, which has got a ton of technicality, especially with COVID and all the changes that got made there. Right. Um, HR. I mean, just these little teeny things. I know it's, it's not a, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but as soon as you start a business and you hire your first employee, your business got it 
um, exponentially more complicated. Yes. And, and we take all of that complication and we make it simple for you. Um, and hopefully that puts you at ease so that when you wake up and you look at your 99th problem, you think, I, I, I got a little more time to tackle that. The other interesting thing is so many of these small businesses that have 15 to 25 employees have at least one or two men or women that sit in a chair that are trying to keep this, that trying to keep up with this entrepreneur, right? To keep this business organized. They're overworked. <laughs> they're extremely utilized. Um, and we come in there and we make their lives so much better, mm. you know, cause the, the owner's like, Hey, I need this report. Oh, and Hey, I need this payroll thing done. Or, Hey, I, I need this other, I need you to call this customer. And I, and the, the list is just endless. Right. The things they're giving these poor office managers. Um, and we, we do so many things to help streamline and make their lives easier and make the entrepreneur's life easier. They get to make their main thing their biggest focus. Yeah. Helps yeah. their company be more successful, drives yeah. more revenue. I love that. Well, and especially in today's world and today's environment where it seems to be, you know, very challenging to uh, hire new employees as well as maintain employees, right? Yeah. Um, that what you can do as a service is come in and help alleviate some of that pressure that is inherent upon those particular problems. So, but I love the tagline because it's as much really as a mission, uh, as a mission statement almost as it is, um, you know, just some motto, right? It's, uh, you know, you're really, uh, are, are, actively engaged, I think, through your services of really uh, enabling entrepreneurs to achieve more. I know so many of our listeners that are the small business owners are like, yes, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what we need. Um, so what's around the corner for Teamworks? I mean, you guys, uh, you know, you've dove into this concept of providing business intelligence and, you know, what's the next big step? Well, I think for I mean, business intelligence for us is now a two-year-old product and it takes about that long, you know, to um, get a software platform kind of up and running and um, get it out there. I think for, there's a piece to this puzzle that we've learned that we have to have as part of our service and that's process automation. Um, a lot of these companies that have software proliferation, I'll, I'll call it, or data islands, um, right? You'll have a QuickBooks program. You're going to have social media analytics or social media platforms. You're going to have Google analytics. You're going to have spreadsheets. You're going to have a CRM, whether it be Salesforce, Zoho, HubSpot, um, maybe an industry specific. Like if you're in the service industry, like plumbing and HVAC, you might have Service Titan. Um, but you're going to have all these different data islands. And the idea yet the idea that yes we can bring all of that information into one single source of truth and give you that information in real time in a dashboard but sometimes you're not dashboard ready you but you need to to be more efficient so you can become dashboard ready you need the you need those data rails to communicate you need those data silos or those islands to communicate and you'll need communication rails built between maybe your CRM and your QuickBooks um, because that makes you more efficient. And, I, and it's a small thing, but ob obviously we're going to continue to take business intelligence and market it and, and try to sell it and implement it, you know, across the country. But as part of business intelligence, this, the next big thing to help service that and help service our clients is process automation. Uh, very simple thing but very important, you know, to, to what they're doing. So that's probably the next big thing for us is to let our customers know that process automation will help take small steps leading towards business intelligence or mm -hmm. more being a more efficient in your back office. Mm. Good steps. It's good stuff. All right, Morgan. So now it's that time of the show. We call it the bottom of the ninth. We're going to, that we ask all of our guests, um, what advice do you have for rookies in the game? So those folks just starting out in business, maybe they already have their businesses and are looking for a little bit of guidance, but you know, through your incredible life experiences, what, uh, what could you share? I was, uh, I'm a huge proponent of slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm. 
and slow down, you'll get there faster. I, I think you know, entrepreneurs are racing so f hard for this finish line, uh, you know, that whatever it is that they feel like is going to make them successful, um, that they that they leave key pieces of their business behind. And that just makes it harder for them to be successful. I mean, sales and operations have to get to the finish line together. If sales is running faster than operations, then you're creating all of these back office messes, right? You, so that you really don't, you know, you really don't know what's going on. You just hope, hopefully more cash is coming in than going out or whatever it may be. And if operations are way out in front of sales, then you're probably bleeding because you don't have, you're not generating enough revenue. You know, it's just, the idea is that the whole bus has to cross the finish line together, in my opinion. And I think you can, you can easily get to a point where you've created more problems than you can solve. And so I, I think, I think the Navy SEAL approach of slow is smooth and smooth is fast is, uh, and slow down, you'll get there faster. Mm. It's kind of all bundled together and saying, Hey, I think that's a real great key for success. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I have not heard that phrase uh, for a long, long time. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. All right. So Teamworks. So you are providing our listeners a free consultation. Uh, they can go to teamworksgroup.com and connect with you and your team to get a consultation on uh, how you guys can help smooth out process for their yep. small businesses. So that's great. Uh, that's uh, teamworksgroup.com uh, free yep. consult. That's terrific. Thanks for uh, providing that for our listeners. Uh, Morgan, hey man, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate you carving out some time in your day. I know you're a busy man. Um, it's been great. I loved hearing all of the great stories and the insights that, uh, that you provide. <laughs> Just uh, looking forward to, to seeing and hearing more great success out of Teamworks Group and what's uh, what's coming around the corner. I appreciate it, Randy. Thanks for having me on. I had a great time. All right. And folks, thank you for being uh, with us today. And if you liked our show, please tell your friends, like, subscribe. And as we like to say, we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.